This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 31, submissions 890 and 891, CBS Daytime. In late 1979, early 1980. Beat the Clock and Few. Beat the Clock aired on CBS from September 17th of 1979 to February 1st of 1980. Grab it. Nab it. Snap it. Chop it. That's the way. Chico, do you remember back, I think it was about episode 15 or so, we talked about the jiggle factor as it related to Flying High and other shows in the 70s? Uh, yes, I do. In fact, it was sort of like the, begin- the genesis of Baywatch and other shows of that ilk in the uh, 80s and 90s. And some of them were successful, like Baywatch, like you mentioned, and Charlie's Angels. But others will be future installments on this show. Ha, 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 ha. And one of them happens to be Beat the Clock. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll get to that shortly. Uh, In case you don't know, uh, this is for the people at home. Beat the Clock actually is a game show that goes back to the uh, the 40s to radio. And once this amazing invention of television got really popular, it was a natural fit to bring Beat the Clock to TV because it's a very physical show. It's stunt-based, and you you can maybe paint a good picture in your head you know, listening to the radio, but actually seeing it and seeing the people, you know, make mistakes and get hit in the face with uh, whipped cream or a pie or, or water or whatnot made yeah. it that much funnier. Yeah, you don't have to tell me because uh, Beat the Clock is, a- after radio, there was one, two, three, four, five versions of Beat the Clock. On television, there was like the 50s and 60s era. Then there was uh, the Gene Wood hosted version, followed by the Monty Hall version from 1979, which I'm assuming this is the episode we're covering CBS Daytime 79 because I wasn't here for the beginning. So sorry about that. Yes, and we're covering, th- we're covering the, 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 the Monty Hall version, yes. Okay, and uh, then there's uh, Gary Kroger's version in 2002 and Paul Costabile's version from a couple years back on Universal Kids. And and, and a little spoiler, the the PAX version is an upcoming entry at some point. And and you know what? Until you just mentioned it, Chico, I had no idea Universal Kids existed. Universal Kids has been around. It's been under different names. It's only been under the name Universal Kids for a number of years. Okay. But they've been around. They, they've been around. I've had them on on my cable system for the eight years or so. I've been customers with oh. this service. Okay, it's the it's the channel formerly known as PBS Kids Sprout. There you go. Yes. 
so as we said in the 50s version, you got uh, the visual effect. You got to see the people getting hit in the face with whipped cream or seltzer water or whatever else. Very comedic. And, yeah. and, the, and, and I'm sorry. I was going to say, Andy got Bud Collier. Andy got Bud Collier, who was a very capable host. And the stakes were reasonably decent for that time. Uh, the gameplay was a little different as time went on. In the 50s, it was one couple played up to three stunts, actually two stunts, and then you had that word puzzle at the end where you had to rearrange the phrase. But it was a $100 stunt, $200 stunt, and then the jackpot stunt, which more or less got you... It was usually like a Sylvania or White Westinghouse or Westinghouse TV because, again, that was big in the day, and those were expensive. Sponsorships, yes. And sponsorships, yes. There's that, that corporate synergy again. But then when it came back in the 60s, uh, 69 through 74, it was in New York for the first year, and then it went to Montreal. And at least comparatively speaking, the stakes were much, much, much lower. It, it was really done on a shoestring budget, uh, where if you want a couple hundred dollars that day, you'd consider yourself lucky. And that's a couple hundred Canadians, so you know that means it was like 25 cents American. A, sorry, so, sorry to all our friends in Canada. No, no, Password A is a different show. Oh God! <laughs> hey guys, what am I doing here? Can we play Beat the Clock? <laughs> oh, that's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so, so there's like five, so there's like five different versions of Beat the Clock. We're going over the. 79 version. The middle version of the five. Yes, the middle child. Yes. We'll save the other shows, uh, the other versions for later shows. We'll focus right now just on the 7980 version. And this was a huge takeaway from what you would have seen even 10 years earlier. Uh, first, as we said, we talked about the jiggle factor. Bonnie Hall had three assistants. And the three assistants, they wore the shortest possible shorts they could. So let's yeah, bring in the jiggle factor and and make these show off these 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 ladies as uh, sexual devices, would you want to say? Yes. Uh, that might be the, the best way of phrasing it. And um the, the, the whole format was different now. The whole format was contained within a show, like the 60s slash 70s version. But now you had like a preliminary toss-up stunt played by two teams, two couples. And whoever won that stunt won $500 and got the chance to play another stunt for another $500. And then you did this again. You, uh, the, the two couples played... A second sort of like preliminary stunt, you know, to figure out who'll get the $500. And then again, the winner of that second preliminary stunt would get to play for another $500. And then it got really weird because the, the, what determined the winner of the day? Shuffleboard. Oh, man. Why didn't why didn't Ken and John mention that in their omnibus episode on shuffleboard? Because they didn't care about watching this show. 
I don't blame them. And for good reason. I mean, there's Monty Hall and Hot Pants. Did you say Monty Hall and Hot Pants or Monty Hall in Hot Pants? Yes. Oh, jeez. That's an image I don't want to see. So, yeah, the, the, the game was determined by shuffleboard. And it was like a regular shuffleboard table length. You know, probably, I'm guessing about 10 feet in length or so. And there were sections blocked off. Uh, they had sections for $300, $400, $500, all the way up to $1,000 in $100 increments. And whichever team had the puck on the highest amount of money or further along the board without going over was the day's winner, regardless how much they had won previously. That so if you, so if you had $2,000 from all the previous stunts, and you ended up losing to the other couple because they got $600 on the shuffleboard table. Well, sucks to be you. Enjoy your $2,000. They're going to be back tomorrow as champions. Totally so, fair. So, so totally the first fair. two rounds are completely pointless. The first two rounds are, are money-making, but they're t- t- completely pointless in terms of who's going to win the game today. Well, at least they get their $2,000. But the person who wins the shuffleboard round goes on to, I guess it would be the bonus stunt or the jackpot stunt. The or, bonus stunt, yes. Yeah. Which is so incredibly important that it has its own sort of theming and staging. It has a quarter of the stage. It has its own lights. It has its own sort of backdrop. Oh, it had its own backdrop, and the thing is, it isn't necessarily blocked off to a certain quarter of the stage. There were some stunts that actually used the entirety of the stage. Oh, really? Yes, there was one that I remember pretty vividly was basically a giant game of putt-putt golf with a giant, and I'm not kidding, probably about a a 10-foot high or 8-foot long uh, putter and you had to put essentially what would be like volleyballs into a or rubber balls into a hole down the stage. It had to go over a hump and then uh, roll up an incline and into the the hole uh, in the uh, on the green. Well, I shouldn't say a green. It was like a, a wooden uh, platform, and you had to get two balls in there. And believe it or not, this stunt was won immediately. On the first two balls. What? Two I'm balls. not joking you. So, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll hook you guys up with it in a few moments. But yeah, so this took, uh, th- this was th- the big ending for the day. And yeah, some of the stunts were ridiculously difficult. Some of them were, a number of them were hit the first time. And what you ended up winning, since we didn't mention it earlier, you won 10 times what you won in the bonus shuffle. So if you won $600 in the bonus shuffle, you're playing for $6,000. Pretty easy. So the max that somebody could win on a day is $13,000 by getting all four stunts, by getting $1,000 in the bonus shuffle, and then getting $10,000 in the bonus game. And I don't think that ever happened. No, I don't think so either. At least but not all, in the episodes that are available on Amazon. But, but also... Um, we also need to remember that this show ran for essentially three and a half months. So maybe 70 episodes. 
it's not a big uh, sample size, you know, 65, 70 episodes uh, total. You know, maybe somebody might have gotten close to the $13,000, maybe got 12000 or $12,500, but 13000 is incredibly difficult. Okay. So there is actually one time on the bonus shuffle that technically there was no winner. And you say, how could there be no winner? It's whoever's furthest along. Well, it's the furthest who's uh, on the board that's touching a dollar amount. And believe it or not, there was one time the the puck was between two dollar amounts and was touching no money. So guess oh. what? They, they they did a puck off. Oh uh, my god! Right, but... What yeah. the puck? So so each one of them, uh, each team had one puck to see who got the highest dollar amount. And so, so yeah, uh, of all the things, you know, it wasn't uh, really a tie. The person didn't land in a dollar amount, which that sounds sort of like faulty design by by Goodson Todman. That you know, the, the, a putt could fall square between two values, and and somebody technically wouldn't win. That's bad design right there. So this bonus shuffle just seems like a bit of a rush design. Like, okay, we need to fill five minutes. How do we do that? Shuffleboard. Okay. The kids. Lo- Mark Goodson was trying to make, the kids love shuffleboard. We gotta get, we gotta work this into the game somehow. I've not seen Jonathan or Marjorie play shuffleboard. Thank you very much. I didn't even know shuffleboard was a, a big thing back in the day. I mean, I know there's tables. I, I, I've seen them uh, when I was, you know, getting my basement done a number of years ago. But yeah, it's not like I have gone to a family's basement or a friend's house and there's the shuffleboard table. Let's go play some shuffleboard. Okay. Uh, we should also note that the couple that had the highest amount... Actually, Chico, you're saying that the money doesn't matter early on? No, uh, oh, I might have said it, but then it was like, oh, yeah, you know what? I remember the team with the most money gets an extra puck in the puck off. I mean, right. the bonus shuffle. Right, yeah, whatever team had the most money uh, got a third puck, while the uh, team with less money had two. And if they tied, both teams got two pucks and they decided before the game if there's a tie, who'd go first and or who who'd, uh, could choose to go first and have an advantage. This, the uh, civilian version did not last all that long. We said that this premiered on September 17th of, uh, of 1979. Yes. Not even two months later, starting on November 5th of 1979, it went to an all-celebrity format. Oh, yeah, because that works wonders. That does super things for a TV show, absolutely. There were several changes in this all-new, all-star beat the clock. The celebrities played in part for the audience. If And I know you guys know Tattletales, where they play for the red section, the banana section, and the blue section. They sort of did the same here, except you had two sides. You You had the red side and the green side. And... What happened was uh, any money that was won in the front game, the the first uh, four stunts, that went to the audience. The bonus shuffle, same thing. That money won in the bonus shuffle went to the audience. 
But then for the bonus stunt, if the bonus stunt was won, $1,000 went to the audience and the remainder was split among the two winning celebrities' charities. So you could have made a nice amount of money. Oh, but there's also one catch. What's that? Uh, stunts weren't worth five hundred dollars. Uh, they're worth two hundred and fifty dollars now. Oh, uh, oh. cost cutting. Uh oh, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. So adding celebrities and cutting the budget. Yeah, th- this isn't going to end well. Also, another thing that we hadn't mentioned up to this point, and this is actually something we mentioned. On show 20, which was about the millionaire knockoffs, we talked about about uh, 21 and it having live music. And we were talking about what was the last show to have live music, or at least last game show to have live music before 21 and 2000. I don't remember what we originally said, but I'm pretty sure the answer is this show. Because this show did have live music. Yeah, I believe this was this was the show we mentioned, yeah. Now, I don't think this is the show we mentioned. No, we, aside from, I think it was Name That Tune with Jim Lang in 84, but obviously as we well, mentioned, I, I'm talking you have to have well, well, yeah, that, 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 that would be true music, but I'm talking about sound effects and, and theme music, et cetera, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. Well, I mean, I know Name That Tune obviously did the theme music, but, um, yeah, we, we just mean from, uh, yeah, the, the overall production point of view, not necessarily the material for the show. So... Yeah, th- this was, I believe, one of the last shows to do not just live theme music, but also they did sound effects for the stunts. And um, and actually, right around the uh, when the celebrity started, they added a lot of very uh, a lot of synthesizers because again, that would have been big in the seventies. So you had a lot of very weird sound effects, uh, synthesizer types of reactions. You know, like if somebody screwed up, you'd, you know, you, you'd have like a, a crashing sound or, or some weird sound uh, indicating they got it wrong or missed it. But yeah, the, the, this was, I'm pretty sure, the last show where at least the theme music and the, especially the sound effects, sound effects weren't done live on Name That Tune. The sound effects here, outside of the, the, the usual bell, ding, 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 were done, or at least they were accompanied by the live band. But there's some other uh, stuff I, I really want to get off my chest. Uh, yes, uh, yes! Okay. All right. uh, hold, hold on, hold on. Before you begin, the opinions that you're about to hear belong to Mike Klaus and only Mike Klaus and do not affect the staff and management if it was a thing on TV. Or the Mike, place to be nation. Or, or the place to be nation. Uh, I wait. I am the management of it was a thing on TV. So, so yeah, I'm speaking for the management. Darn it! But hey, leave, but hey, Greg and I are staff, and leave the staff out of this. Thank you. <laughs> yes, they're they're, Mike, not, they're not involved in this in any way. Mike, I, I, the I got, floor is yours. Thank you. I've got a, a little bone to pick, and th- this really has been irritating me for oh the better part of uh, about eleven to twelve years now. So b- back in 2007 and 2008, and even into early 2009, Game Show Network showed reruns of Beat the Clock, uh, generally like really late on Saturday nights. And so that means they'd show two shows a week. And 
this oh this still just irritates me to this day they pulled beat the clock from the schedule and i'm not even joking i think it was the tuesday episode from the final week i wanted closure i haven't had closure in 11 or 12 years there's no closure saying no thank you for watching thank you you know we'll be back in the future blah 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 we don't know how it ended and and the final show isn't on uh floating around there on the internet you could have waited two more weeks gsn you could have showed that wednesday thursday friday episode uh those three episodes and then you could have gotten rid of beat the clock but now you've You've had us hanging. No, you've had me hanging for all these years. So I really, really need closure. Did Guy and Rolna Hovis actually win that week? Did they win a bonus stunt? Did Monty Hall thank the cast and crew and and uh, and and Jack Nars, who was the announcer and an executive producer of the show? What happened? We need closure. GSN or buzzer. Buzzer showed enough episodes. They've gotten into the celebrity run. Show the rest of the celebrity run. I demand closure. Oh, and who's Guy and Rolna Hovis? Yeah, are they uh, Larry Hovis's kids? What's up with that? No, they're not Larry Hovis's kids. Good answer, though. They were regulars on the Lawrence Welk show. And we all know how popular the Lawrence Welk show was in 1980. He was just a, a happening dude with the kids back then. Oh, yeah, he was a happener, happener, happener. Yeah, just listen to the latest mobituaries with Mo Rock on Lawrence Welk, let me tell you. Oh, yes, that, that's a good episode. I've actually heard that one. So, yeah, three episodes. Come on. Some of us have seen the entire series and just want to know how it ended. Hey, and that has been another Mike Klaus rant. Hey, hey rant Jeff Bezos. Hey, Jeff Bezos, put the rest of Beat the Clock on Prime so Mike can see the end of Beat the Clock. It wouldn't be Jeff Bezos' call. It would be Fremantle's, remember? They own... Yeah, it would be Buzzer's call. Buzzer, I love you. I love that you're showing Match Game Hollywood Squares. Thank you for showing Bill Cullen on the show last night, but I'm calling you out. I want to see that And by the way, thanks for putting Annie Wood on TV, too. We really appreciate that very true about that but i want you to air that last week of all-star beat the clock i need closure please no i got a better idea why don't we have an animation of bill cullen riding a segway that that was the alternate opening to match game hollywood squares oh shit oh I'm sorry. No, that's not staying. If you're that's still listening, if you're, yeah, if you're, you're still listening. God bless you. Anyway, uh, so, so that was beat the clock, 1979 to 1980. But we're not done yet, folks. We are not done because you have a. Do you have a second rant loaded up for this, or is this? I don't have a second rant for this. It would be nice to see more of this. And we've actually seen a little bit more of this uh, recently. Yes. Uh, Thanks for our good friend Wink Martindale, yeah. Yes, we're, we're talking about the show that followed 
uh, beat the clock on on the CBS lineup in in 1979 and early 1980. Yeah, after or after September 17th, 1979. The the pronunciation of which has been a source of contention. But if you were to ask the host Tom Kennedy, the proper pronunciation is. And are you going to say that the brother of Jack Nars is wrong? Of course you're not. But have you heard how Jack Nars used to say it? Because remember, at the end of Beat the Clock, they would say, stay tuned for next over most of these CBS stations. But Jack Nars did not always say that. Stay tuned for woo next over most of these (laughs) CBS stations. No, that that would be the gritty reboot starring Ric Flair. Woo! That's right, folks. I'm hosting. I'm hosting this game show with with a gauntlet of villains for twenty five thousand dollars. Woo! And then he also at least once said, "Stay tuned for who next over most of these CBS stations." <laughs> so we have woo and we have who, and then we uh, finally got you. Uh, so <laughs> so whatever the show is called, remember. Uh, it's like I think the most times I've heard it referenced in within the show itself was three times because I believe uh, I think it was a November show or a December show where Tom Kennedy was referencing the addition of celebrities to and it what was another to, show that added celebrities. Yeah, it was another show that added celebrities. It was supposed to be a three-week thing, and it ended up going the entire run until 1980. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, yes. um, yeah, we're getting yeah, way ahead of ourselves. Uh, however you pronounce this show, it aired on CBS from April 23rd of 1979 until May 30th of 1980 for 247 episodes. our game just a reminder that starting next monday november 5th and for three weeks afterwards we're going to be playing a special celebrity version of there will still be contestants but this time there'll be stars as well and what's more a whole new way of playing our game so if you think it's exciting now wait till you see it starting november 5th the game was hmm, overly complex would you say i mean richard dawson on family feud once joked that you know uh, that it would take twenty minutes or so for Tom Kennedy just to get through the rules of of few. Uh, it it uh, was complex in a way because it was complex, but it was very lateral. I mean, it, it was complex, but it wasn't it, monopoly complex. Let's it was not monopoly. Complex. We can agree on that. It was not monopoly complex. Uh, you had two contestants, and for each round, one player charged while the other blocked. Now the blocker, what they had to do was they put up six blocks on this board. It was a five-by-five board, and then there's a top row, a sixth row on top of it with three blocks. So there's 28 total squares. Six blocks were placed on the board. Uh, 
Uh, the only limitations were you couldn't put more than three blocks on any one row, and you could not put more than one block on the sixth row. So you could do it however you want. Some people would hit them early by putting three blocks on row one, or they'd get them late, hit, put three blocks on row five, and then smatter like two other blocks elsewhere around the board. And then everybody, I don't think I've ever seen an example where somebody did not put a block on that sixth row. Mm -hmm. So there's your defense as the blocker. The charger had the, the easier job in terms of trying to you know, navigate the board. They didn't have to do anything terribly difficult in terms of strategy. Actually, they did, if you want to think about it, because uh, the board, each of the first five levels had dollar amounts, $10, $20, $30, $40, And then the sixth row had $200 and $350 and $500 blocks. Right. And the idea was just the charger had to get from level one all the way to level six within 60 seconds. And anytime they hit a block, it would be a five-second penalty. Five, five four, four, three, two, two, two one. one. Same level. Uh, so, yeah, that's what actually happened. They would count down like that. And usually Tom Kennedy would have, like, you know, a hand gesture, you know, counting down from on his hand, five, four, three, two, one. So that was the penalty if you hit a block. And... If everything was going really bad, as long as you're on row five or less, you couldn't be on row six, you can call long shot at any time. And what happened there is you automatically went from whatever row you're on to the top row to row six to level six. However, the blocker got to put one more additional block up there. So now this really swings the pendulum in their favor because instead of now one block out of three on that row, or most likely one block out of three, there's now most likely two blocks out of three. And th there actually is some strategy here in terms of where to place the block, at least the long shot block. And uh, th there's also some strategies if you see the gameplay, especially in like the tiebreaker round, you know how your, your, uh, your opponent plays the board mm -hmm. yeah if they tend to go towards the higher values you may want to put blocks in the higher values if you want to uh if your opponent does more middle values you may want to put blocks on the middle values or the lower values or you know it, what if your opponent hops all around very unpredictable so you're you're sort of left to, to guessing where they might go uh but also you know it's, it's sort of predictive because if you see that your opponent's going for just the $50 clues. Strategy says that as the blocker, they may go for $500 on that top row. But also at the same time, maybe there'll be reverse psychology used and the charger will go for 200 because huh, I've been going for all these high values and I'm going to go for the low one and I'm going to surprise you. It's an interesting game of, of psychology and strategy here. It really is. And we haven't even gotten to what the hell they're doing on this board. Yeah. Uh, what the hell are they doing on this board? If I, if I remember correctly, there was something about correcting bloopers. For example, the quarterback of the New England Patriots is Tom Tomorrow. Man, what a question for this modern world. 
I have no idea. I'll need to pass. So, yeah, so the, the idea was you had what's called a blooper. It's just a, a phrase uh, or a statement, but there's one word or, or generally one word or, or phrase or section that's incorrect, and you had to correct that phrase or that section in order to advance to the next level. And the uh, example I just gave, the correct answer would be Brady. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they necessarily marked you wrong if you said Tom Brady, but technically Brady would be the right answer because the Tom part is 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 absolutely perfect. The underlined part would be uh, tomorrow or terrific or whatever you said. Tomorrow, I said tomorrow. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't say Tom terrific because isn't Tom Brady terrific? No, but moving on. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> Yeah, and don't get me started. Okay. Uh, so oh, you're gonna go on a rant now. Oh, oh. No, if I was gonna go on a rant, I talk about Alex Guerrero and his steroid <laughs> supply. But that's that's another episode. Anyway, uh, so you're going up the board and you're correcting all these plot, all of these bloopers, and the object is to get one on each of the six levels before the time runs out. And like we said, a five second penalty if you hit a long shot. And you had to actually call long shots, again, if you're on any level from one to five, and then you moved up to level six, where they're a little harder, and you uh, had to get these answers within, I believe, about three seconds. So you couldn't really think about it. If not, you got buzzed, you had to pick another block on the same level. Or if you had used all the blocks in that level, you automatically moved up to the next level. And that did happen on one of the shows that's out there where somebody, let's say, used all the, the, the uh, clues on level three and didn't get any right or got blocked out, they moved up to level four and then got to, to play from there. But if you have time to do that, you're calling a long shot because that takes a lot of time off the clock. Mm-hmm. But the downside of calling the long shot is that extra block in addition to any block that may or may not be up on level six already. Right. So, yeah, so that's why I said that really uh, severely swings the pendulum in the favor of the charger to the blocker. Since now there's a two and three chance there, uh, the, the charger is going to hit a block. That's not really the part of the show that people remember, though. Th that was sort of like the the uh, the appetizer to the main course. The main course was the gauntlet of villains. Uh, if you're a viewer between probably 45 uh, and maybe 55 or even older, you would remember this from your childhood. This is something that you don't forget. Yeah, this is another thing that needs that uh, is laterally complicated. It's it's com it's complicated in a Jay Wolpert way. Let's say that, and we'll we'll get to why it's complicated. Not necessarily complicated, but. There's too many things being thrown at you once, which may sort of muddy the waters a little bit. So there's 10 wooden like caricatures of different um, enemies, let's say. Uh, I don't want to say enemies through history. I mean, they're, they're definitely resembling uh, enemies in history or, or not like people in history. But obviously some names might have been changed. Uh, so the idea was you had to get 10 bloopers correct within a certain amount of time, which we'll decode in a little bit. 
And if you did that, you won $25,000. You're retired off the show. Uh, and really, it's one of the, the great celebration, not just in terms of celebration music, but also in terms of visual. The visual aspect for 1979 was amazing. So there were 10 villains, and here they are from 1 to 10. So you had Alphonse the Gangster, and, and spoiler, he looked like Al Capone. Oh, and it's called Alphonse. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I get it. Now, okay, now you see, there we go. We can't call him Al, or we can't call him Al Capone, but we can call him Alphonse and get away with it. Wink, wink. And then second, you had Bruno the Headsman, who was a, he had a, a hood on. And a, an exec, he was an executioner. Yeah, I know ex- how to he, speak. He was executioner. <coughs> Good execution and ex- executioner. Say that I almost, times. I almost uh, said executor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was handling somebody's will. Yeah, he was an executioner. And he had, a, 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 as I said, a hood on. And he had a, a basket with somebody's head in there. Now, just like the top of his head, just his eyes. And they were sort of like, you know, glazed over kind of look. Uh, then uh, number three was Mr. Van Laus, the landlord. The evil landlord who, you know, he's got the deed and he's going to repossess the home. You know, from, you know, back in the, the Three Stooges days. You, know, <laughs> uh-huh. you, you, you need to get $500 before the month or I'm going to own the orphanage. Number four was, oh, you can't really hide this name. And it's not like he's going to sue you. Nero the Fiddler. Uh. And, and he looked like Nero. And he's fiddling away. And there's wooden flames in the background. Burning Rome while he's fiddling away. Number five was Count Nibbleneck the Vampire. Who, well, looked like Dracula. Again, can't really use his name. That's copyrighted. And then number six, again, uh, uh, swerving around complications regarding uh, trademarks and, and copyright, Frank and his little friend Stein. And He's that was a, it. That, he was, was a Frankenstein's monster. He, he was a Fra- Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. But he was called Frank and his little friend Stein. Oh. Number seven was Kid Rotten the Gunslinger, who was just a cowboy. Uh, number eight, Jeremy Swash the Pirate. With, with, with the eye patch and the and the the scabbard, the 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 the, the sword or whatnot, and yeah, and uh, he looked like uh, your your typical pirate. Number nine was Doctor Derange the Mad Scientist, and then finally you had Lucretia the Witch. Get through those ten folks in a certain amount of time. And you win $25,000. But you say, wait, how much time? How much time, Mike? How much time? It's, it's like this wasn't scripted. We didn't rehearse this at all. I don't know what you're, hold on, talking about. Oh, I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you, line, mean. Um... So you, <laughs> so you had 60 seconds as your base time, but then for every $100 you earned, you got an additional second. So if in the main game you got $880, 
you received eight seconds on top of the 60 seconds, so you had 68 seconds. Okay. So, so the thing is, if you played very... Uh, if you didn't go for the big money, you might get, say, three seconds, four seconds, five seconds. But if you were very aggressive, you might have gotten 10 seconds, 11 seconds, 12 seconds. Plus also, a lot of it depends on the luck. Plus also... Even another factor is if the game goes three mm -hmm. rounds, because three rounds means more money for both players, most likely. Because it, it, yeah, if you're the the if you're the blocker, you get money for each block that's hit, including the uh, on the top line. And if you're a charger, you get more money for each block that you earn. So yeah, if you played three rounds, you could get like easily a good ten or eleven seconds on top of that. Few is actually sort of um, important in the history of game shows because it was the game show that moved Prices Right into its current eleven to noon time slot. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Before then, Prices Right was airing from ten thirty to eleven thirty. Yeah, right and, out of All in the Family. Right, and also don't forget that Few kind of sort of replaced match game on the schedule. Now match game 79 at the time was on in the afternoon, but match game 79 was off the schedule and was replaced on it by few, albeit a different time slot. So there is a little bit of history here because otherwise we might be seeing prices right from 10 30 to 1130 now and let's make a deal. Who knows what would happen with that? Yeah. But that's all just, you know, pie in the sky. That's all. All, all fun conjecture. We love a uh, few for a couple of reasons. First, Randy Amasia. I think it needs to be said because he, he was probably one of the, the most influential people uh, on the internet uh, in the game show community. The first you know, couple of years that the, the first, internet the first, got big. Yeah, yeah, the first decade of the internet, uh, Randy Amasia was basically the voice of game show internet now this was before the advent of social media and whatever and what have you yeah but... th th this was in news groups and he was he was sort of polarizing either you liked him or, or you didn't like him but the thing is if you didn't like him it's because you're probably a fool and that's with all due respect because he he really didn't take ignorance or foolishness too kindly but the thing is he was so generous uh, in terms of giving information to the game show community, giving inside information, because you need to uh, remember that he did work in some capacity on the Jim Perry version of Card Sharks in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, he had also been on a number of pilots. Uh, he was also on Jeopardy. He, he won big on Jeopardy. But also he just attended many tapings many tapings and that includes uh, i think one of his first ones was he saw now you see it as a 16 year old and actually you can see him in the audience after somebody wins the big money and so it's like oh there's there's like 16 year old randy amasia how adorable is he and uh but also he just i mean his life his pastime was it was game shows he would talk about going to different tapings um one of the last tapings he saw, I, I can vouch for this, was uh, 
me and uh, and him and Jason Hernandez, good friend of the show, and also uh, Justin Lally, we went to go see the uh, Jeopardy College Championship, which was at UCLA that year in in two thousand one. And I think that and that was about two months before he passed. And I think that was his final taping. Uh, and I think the uh, final show to air before he passed away because, well, no, the, the Jeopardy College Tournament would have been, I believe, Thanksgiving. Um, well, one of the, the last shows I know that he saw that aired was the pilot to You Don't Know Jack. Oh, future entry, You Don't Know Jack. Yeah. But, I mean, he went to all these shows and had inside information, made many good friends. I mean, he was a, a definite known commodity in the industry. He actually was on few in August of, of, uh, of 1979. 1979. Yeah. And he, he won $26,190. And as he used to say, as he told it, uh, he had the first episode. The first episode has been highly you know, recycled throughout the, the game show community for 25 years now but the second episode eluded him uh quite a bit and get your tissues ready because this really is a a sad little story so a number of people went to extreme lengths to find his second episode and 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 we actually did find it it's out there it's 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 online i'm sure uh Randy Amasia unfortunately passed on December 12th of, of 2001. And I'm not even joking. We found the tape. We had a courier send it to his, uh, his house, to his mother's house. Uh, and unfortunately, it got there, I want to say, like two hours after he passed. He didn't get a chance to see his second episode. And that, I mean, that's just heartbreaking. That that's yeah. He worked so hard for years to get that second episode, and he had it, or almost had it, within literally a matter of hours. And yeah, yeah. Uh, but but to put a humorous twist on it, just so you know, we we don't get all sad and stuff. Um, Randy used to say that he had a coworker who was supposed to tape both episodes, and the coworker taped the first episode but didn't tape the second episode by a no coincidence, possibly that coworker didn't work with Randy much longer. <laughs> Boy, karma's a B, isn't it? <laughs> oh, but also one other, uh, incident, which People remember from the show. I know uh, a couple people I've talked to remember this. There was a contestant, and don't write me letters. This is the name he had on his name tag. His contestant name was Blackie. What? Blackie. Blackie. And and, again, not, not to stereotype, guess what race he was? Hint, not Chinese. So, so Blackie, he won the main game, and in his excitement, he he broke his ankle. Oh, oh! So they couldn't run the gauntlet with him then, because obviously he's probably in an emergency room, you know, getting his ankle worked on. But he came back with pomp and circumstance playing in the background, and ran the gauntlet. 
And guess what? The new ankle must have been lucky. He won $25,000. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> wow. amazing. And this is not out on the internet. So this is just through word of mouth. But I've heard multiple people talk about him. So this obviously occurred. This wasn't some sort of fever dream or anything. So this was a thing on TV. This definitely was a thing on TV. Absolutely. Okay. And, and yeah, we, we tend to make fun of some shows here, but I'm sorry. These are two beloved shows to me. Beat the I'm Clock sorry. is yes. a beloved show to you. I, well, I, Beat the Clock, I remember seeing as a little kid. And, again, we're talking now 40-plus years ago. And I even remember when my sister was born, I was in the hospital, and guess what was on TV? You and The Price is Right. And I remember that like it was just yesterday, even though it was well over 40 years ago. And I even remember what I was eating that day because I haven't eaten it since. Apple Jacks. Oh, don't you, don't you dare knock Apple Jacks, Mike. I'm not knocking Apple Jacks. I just said I haven't eaten them again. You know, I I remember what I ate on September 12th of 1979, but I don't know where my car keys are. (laughs) Yeah, hey, you know what? That could happen to anybody. That could happen hey, to anybody. Hey, hey guys, before we before we sign up, we forgot to mention what happened to you at the end of the run. What happened to you at the end of the run? Well, aren't you going to tell me? Greg forgot. Um, <laughs> you forgot about the celebrity run of you. Yeah, because in, no- in November of 1979, it was supposed to be a thing for three weeks but it ended up being a permanent thing that celebrities were teamed up with the contestants to play the game. (laughs) Now, uh, and ultimately that that didn't help matters because I'm looking at the schedule. You know what was going up against in 1980? What Uh. would ultimately be the final season of the Hollywood Squares. By the way, more about that in June, though. That's another episode. Yep. But uh, and the game was changed a little bit because uh, if one team won both games in a row, the winning team would actually play the house. There would be a prearranged, don't know if it was necessarily random, arrangement of blocks on the board. And they got a chance to earn more time and more money by by playing that board. In the Gauntlet of Villains, one person, whether it was the celebrity or the civilian, played the first five villains in the Gauntlet, and the second person, the other person, took the second half, the second five. Rules were still the same: sixty seconds plus the second for each hundred dollars, twenty-five thousand if one, immediate retirement if one, for the for the contestant, not the celebrity, obviously. But uh, just like beat the clock, just like hot potato you know adding celebrities and the name celebrity to your game doesn't necessarily make it a better game no it doesn't and and usually it's the death knell yes it is and who was on the final week of celebrity few you might ask who was on the final week of celebrity few betty white and john saxon and to call back to episode 23 John Saxon, who, of course, many of you will know from A Nightmare on Elm Street, has a card in Donruss Americana. And guess who just bought a signed material card of his from that set for $2.99 on eBay last month? 
You! Well, it wasn't me. Well, yes, it, of course it was me, because I hate money. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I love money, and that's another entry on, on the list. Yeah, I was going to say, that's another entry uh, talking about trading uh, cards and TV shows, but yeah, that's another day. Yep, so... CBS oh, but wait, wait, we forgot one more important thing. Uh, oh. what's that? Who did the theme music? Oh, yeah, it's me, Alan Thick. How you guys no. doing? Oh, shut up, Chico. It's me, Alan Thick. I did the theme music. <laughs> of course, this would be before... This was before... This is basically Alan Thick, known as a composer, and not so much a... a, a Bumbling father figure, or talk show host, or talk show host, or or you know Jason Seaver or anything like that. Yes, this th th this is a good half decade before, at least he got into the sitcom business. Uh, but even still, probably about three or four years before he got into the talk show business. Yeah, this was and and sure and to be sure, before he met, he got up with Gloria Loring and created one fourth of the panel on the Masked Singer. I was wondering how you're gonna phrase that. <laughs> I, I was wondering how Chico was gonna work Robin in. Well, yeah. now you huh, now you know. Ding. Anyway, uh, plus, and I'm gonna add even one more thing. What's the, that? The, the opening sequence to few. Do you know who did that? Hanna Barbera. I totally forgot about this. Hanna Barbera. Yes. That was Hanna Barbera. Yeah. Yeah, the, the opening to few, uh, the animation, was actually done by Hanna-Barbera, which is kind of cool. That's kind of amazing that Hanna-Barbera did the uh, opening animation for the show created by one of the future writers of Pirates of the Caribbean. He's a jack-of-all-trades. Yes. What, what, I know what you can say. CBS Game Shows Not Named Price is Right in 1979. So you either loved them or you hate them. But whether you loved them or hate them, they were things on TV. Indeed oh, yes. they were. And, and we love these shows we do. so much. We, we love these shows so much. And we're going to give you two more episodes next week. And next week... Another special episode. We're not going to talk about what it's about, but again, it's it's sort of timely in a manner. Uh, again, two great episodes coming up. Don't forget, we're at www.itwasathingontv.com. Past episodes are there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review, like and subscribe there. And we're don't forget Stitcher. to share. Yeah, sharing is caring. Sharing is caring, absolutely. Uh, also, again, uh, we got social media accounts everywhere. We're just about every place on social media, we're uh, at It Was a Thing on TV. And specifically, talking about the Twitter and the Instagram side, we put up more than just links to the shows. We put up different photos or different, uh, different things that may interest you or, or things that uh, catch our eye. So, uh, stuff you won't see on the Facebook or the Tumblr feeds. So definitely look for us at those uh, those locations. Uh, and again, uh, we're also on, as I said, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, the Podbean app. We're on Spotify. We should be on Pandora in the near future. Uh, that, that's, that, that's in the reviewing process, if you will. 
guys, what else? I, I think we, we've covered well, everything. Uh, well, yeah. our back catalog is, of course, going up on Place to Be Nation Pop right now. Oh, yes. We, we've got to mention our good friends at the, uh, the Place to Be Pop Nation Network. Uh, thank you for hosting us. They're slowly uploading episodes. I don't know if they'll ever get caught up because we, we do so many of them. Well, well, we'll wait till we'll wait till we take those two weeks off. Yeah, that that'll help uh, alleviate the backlog a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to cover. I don't think uh, so. That's I it. think that's pr- that's, that's pretty it. much it. Nothing left to say except uh, again, thank you all so much for the company. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast, and we'll be back next week with another two things on TV. Yes. That's about right, isn't it, Mike? Yeah. I'm waiting for Greg to do... Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second.